Hi, this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group. The topic today is workplace violence. I'm talking with Kim Matlin, the COO of RNA Crisis Management Services, a business continuity, crisis management, and project management consulting firm located in Illinois. Kim, thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely, my pleasure. This is a fascinating topic, and I think it's one that hasn't gotten a lot of publicity, so to speak, in financial institutions. Kim, in your estimation, what are the predominant workplace violence issues for financial institutions today? Well, workplace violence can commonly be broken down actually into four general categories, um, and each of these four categories are affected in the financial institutions. Um, there's pure criminal intent, there's client-customer incidents, employee-to-employee incidents, and personal relationship or domestic violence incidents. Now, pure criminal incidents are things like theft, and these are the things that generally um, financial institutions are keenly aware of, and uh, especially if they have the branch offices out there. Client or customer incidents generally occur where the client or customer acts out violently toward an employee. This kind of violence can be seen perpetrated mostly against teachers, police officers, social workers, and that kind of thing, but financial institutions are not immune to this type of violence either. Then there's worker-to-worker incidents, and these stem for, from work-related disputes and account for about 7% of all workplace homicides. This type of violence is seen across all industries and all occupations. However, trends have shown that managers and supervisors seem to be at greater risk for this type of violence. Finally is the personal relationship incidents or domestic violence-related incidents, and this can occur if the victim or the perpetrator is an employee at the organization. Something to keep in mind, the effects of domestic violence on the workplace is immense. This includes absenteeism, low productivity, and violence occurring at the place of employment of the victim. Employers also need to be aware that perpetrators of domestic violence may use business telephones, fax machines, email, and the like to perpetrate violence on their victim at the workplace. Again, this cuts across all industries, including financial institutions. It's a very serious problem, one of which we don't really know the full extent of at this time, but could affect upwards of 25% of all people in the workplace. Just a quick follow-up, Kim. You know, we're going into what you know, everyone is recognizing as pretty tough economic times. Does workplace violence increase in tough economic times? You know, there are no studies out there as to that, but um, any stressor is going to increase violence, um, and uh, especially when you have um, when you have a financial institution, you're going to see. My guess is you're going to see an increase in the client or customer incidents. Uh, where people come in and they're angry and they and they have no other recourse and they want to get back at somebody um, and those are the things that uh, definitely financial institutions need to keep in mind. That makes sense. Now you you speak about this topic a lot. What do you find to be most misunderstood about workplace violence? Well, I think that most people really don't recognize the breadth and depth of workplace violence. That it truly does encompass everything from a robbery to a bullying episode, to incidents of domestic violence. Also, no workplace is immune. And I'm going to stress that again. Absolutely no workplace is immune from violence. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, an average of 1.7 million people were victims of violent crimes in the workplace between 93 and 99. Uh, so it's 75% of those were just simple assaults. So anything from a pushing and a shoving at an office can lead to 
any number of problems within a workplace. So when people think about workplace violence, they generally think about horrible incidents like the 2006 law office shooting we had here in Chicago or incidents like what's been happening on university campuses across the country, Virginia Tech, NIU, and the same. But what people don't think about is what happens every day, possibly in their own offices. Burglaries that have the potential to turn into physically violent, especially in uh, financial institutions, you'll see that that turns violent rather quickly. Bullying from fellow employees, again, you can turn into pushing and shoving, can go, can rapidly escalate into um, something that can to, you know, homicide at the outside. Um, someone in a domestic violence situation, uh, either perpetrator or victim, can work in your office. Uh, the likelihood of that is pretty, pretty high. So it can happen anywhere to anyone, and most people don't think that. Um, again, it's much more than well-publicized fatalities. Workplace violence includes everything from threats and non-fatal injuries and includes lost work productivity, legal liabilities, economic impact on businesses, and a wide variety of other costs that businesses just can't afford. And you mentioned those statistics there. What strikes me right away is this is what's been reported. We don't know what has not been reported. Oh, absolutely. Some of the things that uh, with my work as an attorney in, uh, in Illinois, with my work in the domestic violence uh, arena, we found that about 25 to 33 percent of incidents were actually being reported. Um, and, or excuse me, there was an incidence of 25 to 33 percent of the population that was reporting. We don't know how many people are going through this on a daily basis, so we're anticipating that it's much higher than 33 um, percent of the populace in the United States has had domestic violence occur in their own household. I mean, that's staggering. Sure. So, if and you work with those people every day. And then when you think about, you add the stressors of economic downturns, of any number of things that, that people go through, you increase those numbers just rapidly. Now, Kim, for a manager, what are some of the red flags to look for regarding workplace violence? There are so many things. And again, I go back to the four types. Um, you're going to need to have a comprehensive plan in place to deal with all four of them. Each has a different impact on the organization. Um, however, it can be said that people don't just snap. You know, that's what you hear in the media all the time. Well, you just snapped. You never saw it coming. That's not actually true. Awareness by managers, coworkers, those who deal face-to-face -face with the public is going to be key because, remember, it's not just worker on worker. It is going to be the person coming into that financial institution that could also be a hot button. So it's important. first of all, it's important to take every threat very seriously. This can become quite overwhelming for some organizations, but no threat should be ignored. If a person is threatening to commit an act of violence, take it seriously and take action. People have the propensity for violence, sometimes like to test the water out. They become aggressive, intrusive, or downright obnoxious just to see how far they can push before being stopped. So look for harassing or intimidating behavior. Sometimes this is often the bully in the office that nobody wants to stand up to, but somebody needs to. In the case of a theft at a bank branch or other institution, the perpetrator will generally watch the building for some time before going into action. So if everybody can just be a little more aware of strange behaviors or people sitting in their cars or standing on a corner frequently, that will be helpful as well. Stalking behavior. This can be someone who is obsessive about an employee and often, often, often turns violent. Um, violent or threatening behavior can include physical acts 
oral or written statements, harassing email messages, harassing telephone calls, explosive gestures or expressions, or other behaviors that are really out of the ordinary. One thing that I generally do is, I, when I work with an organization, is I actually call the local police in to talk with that organization. They know the people in that area. They know how people watch stores in certain ways. They know when people are getting hit um, by, you know, a theft. And they're really amazing at teaching human behavior and, and things to watch for. So whether it's somebody inside the company or somebody outside the company, it's always really, really important to get, you know, first-line uh, reference. So that's why I always call them in to get some information. Now, Kim, in terms of information security, where a lot of our audience works, are there warning signs to look for in electronic communications? It's going to be a lot the same. Um, obviously, you're not going to have gestures and intimidating um, vocal work, but, you know, people can make threats directly or indirectly through email or fax. Um, also be aware of the frequency of communications. Um, it is possible to stalk and harass somebody electronically, and harassment, harassment and stalking of any kind is a precursor to violence. So a manager should be mindful of the, the volume of, of email traffic someone is getting from an individual? It, yeah, that can really be a, a big sign as to there being a, a problem. Um, you know, if it's somebody who is you know, getting jokes every five minutes from their best friend, that's one type. But if they're getting something, um, the type of emails where they're feeling uncomfortable, um, whether it's a known entity or an unknown entity, so it can be somebody who, a, a spouse or a lover, that they've just ended a relationship, and that third party is emailing your employee nonstop, that can become harassment, and that can, that can be a sign of something that could turn very, very violent. Now, are you apt to wait for the employee to bring that to a manager's attention, or is this something a manager can be proactive about and, and start a discussion about it? I think the manager can carefully uh, raise that issue. It's going to depend on policy in terms of um, how, when the managers can actually read uh, employee email. Different organizations have different policies on that. Right. So if the manager is aware of it from whatever method, you know, just kind of poke around and say, is everything okay? Um, you know, check in about the home life. That's when managers can really, really make a difference. Um, generally, when somebody's going through a domestic violence situation, they feel really, really isolated. And um, they don't feel safe to reach out. So somebody reaching out to them and saying, we've noticed that there's an issue, without accusing the employee of anything, they might feel okay with saying, you know what, I do have a problem. And then extra security can be brought in to provide safety for all the employees. Now, I know there's nothing easy about this, but what are some of the sort of first steps that somebody can take to ensure their employee's safety? Well, there, there really are no easy steps in this. You're absolutely right. Um, the first thing, uh, especially when you're dealing with financial institutions, is you're going to want to impl implement stringent cash handling procedures. Um, that's going to be one place where you're going to have violence occur uh, when somebody's coming in to do a theft. Um, again, you know, this is something banks are well aware of, uh, physical separation of employees from customers, um, using bullet resistance barriers, using heights and depths of countertops uh, to protect employees, physical protection when you have face-to-face -face, um, work with the general public is really helpful. Some things that organizations also do is visibility and lighting 
um, that's always going to be important. Make sure high-risk areas are visible to more people and, and install really good external lighting, especially if you have people coming in early or staying late. Um, and that's going to be helpful no matter what type of violence comes into the office. Um, numerous security devices can reduce the risk for assaults and facilitate identification and apprehension of perpetrators. Uh, increasing the number of staff on duty can be helpful. Of particular importance, though, is taking a look at work practices and staffing patterns during opening and closing, um, especially when there's money drops involved. Again, there's, there is no easy answer. It's just kind of being proactive, looking ahead, and trying to think, okay, is there a vulnerability here, and how can we close that gap as much as possible? Now, how do you advise institutions to create, communicate, and test their strategies for workplace violence prevention? Well, the first thing that I do, actually, is I advise every organization to do something. So many organizations aren't doing anything um, or doing very, very little. Um, anything is better than nothing. When incidents occur, many organizations find themselves in a tenuous position to deal with the incident without exacerbating the situation. They're really frozen into inaction during, during, due to fear of litigation and, and afraid of doing something wrong or saying something wrong and, and then the media getting involved. However, this is absolutely the worst thing to do. The lack of doing anything will almost always exacerbate the situation. Um, going to take a little sidestep here because where I come from in terms of uh, helping people is to first look at, um, I'm a trained attorney, so my first thing is to look at the law uh, for guidance. There is none <laughs> in this instance, which kind of makes it frustrating. Uh, really, the only thing we have to go off of is the OSHA general duty clause, which merely requires employers to, and I quote, furnish to each of his employees employment and a place of employment which are free from recognized hazards that are causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm. Well, that doesn't say a whole lot. That doesn't help us figure out how to keep our employees safe. Several states are trying to do things, but primarily all they're really doing is formalizing those those OSHA uh, standards, which aren't really standards. Um, so although nothing can guarantee that an employee will not be a victim of workplace violence, I believe that organizations should put their efforts into three distinct areas, prevention, response, and follow-up. I talked a little bit earlier about prevention steps, you know, the adjusted lighting and security enforcement. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about response and follow-up. It's important for organizations to include follow-up procedures following an incident of violence in a workplace. Um, that can be uh, getting your case managers in, uh, you know, getting social workers in to talk with your people. It can also be making sure that people have what they need to feel safe in the workplace. Um, maybe it means now implementing newer security measures. The perception of support and responsiveness of the organization, regardless of the particular intervention offered, plays a central role in returning business to normal. And that's something that obviously my clients are looking for is when can we get back to normal. In general, policies and procedures for assuring and reporting threats allow employers to track and assess threats and violent incidents in the workplace. The po those policies must indicate zero tolerance of workplace violence and provide mechanism by which Incidents can be reported and handled. In addition, such information will allow the employers, the financial institutions, to assess whether prevention strategies are appropriate and effective. These policies should include guidance on re recognizing the potential for violence, 
methods for diffusing or de-escalating potentially violent situations, and instruction about the use of security devices. Another little side point here, teaching people how to de-escalate and diffuse is huge. That's something that I, I do train with, uh, with the organizations that I work with to try and get them to work one-on-one -on -one with their employees to understand that there is a way to diffuse and de-escalate. In addition, training employees in nonviolent response and conflict resolution is also a great way to reduce the risk of volatile situations. Also critical is training that addresses hazards associated with specific tasks or certain work sites. Training should not be regarded as a sole prevention strategy, though, and only as a component of a comprehensive approach to reducing workplace violence. Now, I know that that doesn't detail exactly how I work with each organization to create, communicate, and test their strategies. It's much like any other business continuity plan um, that they put in place, and it specifically deals with areas of vulnerability to physical safety. And working with the managers, working with um, the tellers, working with the people that have face-to-face -face with general public, that's really a key area that we can move things forward and help keep everybody in the workplace safe. Kim, we really have to have a long conversation about this sometime. This is good material. Thank you. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask the audience right now, if you want a webinar on this, let me know. Write to me. I think that we, we need a webinar on workplace violence. It is something that is truly of importance to everybody, and as I said earlier, nobody's immune. Unfortunately, nobody is immune. Kim, thank you so much for your time and for your insights today. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much. We've been talking with Kim Matlin, COO of RNA Crisis Management Services. The topic has been workplace violence. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.